back to you and I for the Kenai. I'm back with Cobra today. We're back at the Serenity Intake office recording another great recovery story today. We have Michaela with us today. How's it going, Michaela? Hello. It's going pretty great. Um, I am kind of on a tight schedule, so... All right, we're going to rip it. <laughs> I believe in us. For sure. All right. So let's um, jump right into it then. <clears throat> so where are you from? I'm from St. Mary's, Alaska. Um, actually, I'm moving here, so this is going to be kind of exciting. <laughs> nice. A new transition. That's pretty cool. So actually, I'm not from Alaska, so where is St. Mary's? It is northwest of Bethel. That's the nearest, mm. the biggest hub. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm from Alaska. I don't know where it is either. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> don't feel bad, dude. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a, a village then, or is it like just like a small town? Or like, yes, what it is a village. It probably has like a good 700 people. Um, so you know everyone, everyone's family. So. Mm -hmm. so what was it like growing up in such like a small, tight-knit community? Um, it had its ups and downs. One, like you had you had everyone around you. Two... You knew everyone's business, so right. you, you knew when someone was in trouble or, you know, things going on. And they knew when you were in trouble. Sadly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what was childhood like in growing up in a village town then, small? Um, it was pretty good, actually. Um, I grew up with all of my grandparents. Um... My home life situation wasn't very great. I grew up in an abusive household. Um, my parents were alcoholics, and every night, or you know, every other night or so, my dad would come home drunk, and he'd be abusive. So um, I grew up relying and going to my grandparents' house, you know, um, going around, couch surfing that was pretty much my life hmm. how old were you when you like when you first started couch surfing like you're like man this is not a good place for me uh, to be probably around seven seven it's young how did you know did your grandparents kind of tell you or did you just get the sense yourself you're like i gotta get out of here um my older brother was there to you know pick us up like throw us out the window if needed be mm. or carry us to our grandparents house so he was always there. Um, he always made the decisions for us where we were going to go, where we were going to stay for the night or the weekend. And we, I don't know, me and my brothers have a really close relationship. Mm -hmm. And because of my parents being, you know, having their abusive relationship, me and my brothers learned to rely on each other and be there whenever, whenever need be. So. Mm hmm <laughs> How old was your brother at that point? My brother is six years older than I am. Okay, so he was only like 13. 13 yeah. And he's yeah, making plans for weekends and stuff. That's yep. a lot of responsibility for a young kid. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's pretty intense. Um, so you're growing up um, in a obviously pretty tough home life. So where does that, like as you get older... Is it getting easier? Is it getting harder? Like, kind of, how's that? Tra like, as you're going through life and life starts to change, like, how are you changing with it? I guess. I learned lying at a really young age, um, because I grew up in a close knit community. Uh, it was 
a lot easier for everyone to find out when you when you're a kid and you know things would just shoot out of your mouth mm -hmm. so I learned to contain those and I learned to lie about what's going on in my home situations what going what's going on between my parents like I'd get asked how is your mom doing like how's your dad doing what are they doing together oh they're fine mm -hmm. they're at home we just went berry picking last week right. um, we came back from a either a family game night we were watching tv so I learned how to control my voice mm -hmm. I learned how to um, talk to my grandparents pretending like everything is fine at home and that became a habit right. and with that um, I also got even really good at lying to the police right. and OCS and it it was hard Mm -hmm. So with that, I was living in secrecy. Me and my brothers knew that if we told the truth, we'd get taken away, that we'd get put into separate homes. So mm -hmm. we learned to continue to lie or tell some made-up story. So that was that was most of our childhood. Right. It seems like that would, especially going into high school or middle school, or uh, I'm not sure where this is at in your life, but basically having to make an identity to cover for all the things that are happening, that seems like it would make it really difficult to kind of find out who you were behind the mask that you'd have to wear, basically around everyone, it sounds yes. like. So that must have been extremely difficult. Was that kind of your experience and as you were growing up of trying to figure out who you are? I, I knew who I was. I knew... Mm -hmm that I was a strong little girl. I knew that I wanted to get out of St. Mary's. I wanted to get far away as possible. Um, I had this mentality that if I got as far away as I could, then everything would be fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now here in Soldatna, things don't feel that very fine. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's going around. Um, yeah. Things are finally starting to make sense now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, like, the hardest part about, like, about having to lie about a lot of those things that are going on at home, I mean, I feel this on a more personal level in different circumstances, obviously, not, first of all, not near as intense, and second of all, just in, like, in a minor way, you just get in the habit of suppressing things, like, yes. even just, like, your own, yeah, like, yes. your own emotions and, like, the own, like, like everything's happening outside of you, but, like, in affecting you internally, but, like, it's hard to recognize that thing as to what it is, like, because you're so busy trying to think of ways to not let people find out. Like, that's kind of consuming your thought process at that point. Like, you don't even have time to really ever, like, deal with anything. Like, yeah. to really kind of put a foot forward into thinking, like, wow, what is really going on? Because all you can think about is, dude, nobody can find out about this. Like, or I, ca I have to figure out some way to not let people find out about this or I have to figure out the next lie, the next plan, the next like, yeah. just kind of just like a running mentality almost. Yeah, and those those lies that were being made up, they kept coming back. So with every lie that I had to put out there, it'd be questioned later and I'd have to think about those lies or what I said w within that conversation. So that got harder and harder, but mainly I just used three just so that I can refer back to one. And um, even even though we were lying, 
We still went to school. We still got really good grades. We still joined extracurricular activities, and um, we were we were there. Like we were present. We were present in the time. We we're playing games with other kids. You know things like mm-hmm. normal kids would do. Right. But when we'd go home, it'd be a completely different story. Mm-hmm. So we we're juggling two different lives. Right. Yeah, it sounds like two completely different worlds. It yep. just you gotta change yourself to fit into each one. Mm-hmm. That must have. Did you realize that at the time, or is it looking back that you have that clarity that you're like, this this was just two completely different circumstances? Well, um, at the time, it just felt completely normal. Like, Mm -hmm. I was just juggling it from a young age, and I learned to um, grow off of that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. starting off on the wrong foot just got worse and worse. And But with that, we were getting more careful with our lives and we're getting more careful with how we presented ourselves and mm-hmm. our maturity levels at a really young age were extremely high for you know minors mm-hmm. so. yeah it's crazy when kids are forced to grow up it's it's kind of sad but at the same time there are some very mature children just because they're thrust into adult situations like mm-hmm. your brother at 13 was basically scheduling i mean managing threat and a bunch of things at just such a young age so there's it's kind of like that double-edged sword of more mature but at what cost of experience so where does this all where does this all kind of fall into your use then you know what I mean like when does that start like and how does that kind of build up from this disconnect that we're seeing here well when I was about 12 years old my dad sat me down He was blacked out drunk at the time, and he sat me down on the couch. He went, um, knelt below me, and he's like, I'm going to tell you a story. It's like, okay. You know, 12-year-old little girl. I didn't know any better. Um, So I sat down, and I listened. He told me of the time when my mom was pregnant with me. And he's like, yeah, your mom was pregnant. She was about to have you. Well, not about to have you, but she was pregnant with you. And I didn't know if you were mine or not. It's like, okay. Like, that's, I'm here now. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. And he explained to me that he didn't want me when I was still in my mom's womb and trying to convince her to get an abortion. But when my mom refused, um, he tried to beat her to get rid of me. And you know, at a 12-year-old little girl, girl's age, I didn't know any better. I didn't have this mentality of how much of a miracle it was for me to still be alive, to mm-hmm. still be functioning normally. Right. So I started to use the coping me- method mechanisms mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. my parents were using, you know, drinking, right. using drugs at the age of 12. Yeah. And, you know, I was still, still lying, still mm-hmm. going to school, still getting really good grades. Yeah. And it changed, it changed a lot of my life. It basically consumed me mm-hmm. to the point where I didn't know how to act normally without it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that was. Yeah, so you start 
start using when you're 12? Is this yep. just alcoholic right away, or like kind of how does that progress? First, it started off with smoking weed. Mm-hmm. I tried it for the first time. My a lot of my friends were older than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, probably like you know, back to like that maturity level. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The way you're perceived mm-hmm. by other people, for sure. So they started when they're about like 16, 17 years old, mm-hmm. and you know, as this 12 year old little girl, just starting to get to know who I was at the time. And they're like, hey, we're going to go try, try this. Do you want to, do you want to come? Oh, you know, being as naive as I was, being as um, submissive and persuade, like persuaded mm-hmm. as I was, I said yes. And, you know, I went you with can't them. Really, like, that's, I mean, like, maybe, I don't know, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth here by any means but like i'm sitting here thinking like you're 12 you know what i mean and like honestly like this might be a little insensitive i guess but like your parents aren't like the most amazing role models at this point these are probably people you look up to in ways and these guys are people that are 16 17 you know what i mean like they're around your brother's age yep you know like these are people that like you probably relate to and bond with in ways that are stronger than a lot of the other people in your life like these are your strongest connections at this point and so for them to be like do you want to try this like it isn't like it's isn't absurd by any means that you're like yeah (laughs) like sure you know what i mean like it's not even really i guess about like being easily persuaded like it's being misled really in a lot of ways and by people who don't know any better you know 16 17 you know what i mean like it's just kind of really like a combination of a lot of unfortunate situations at that point. Like, I wouldn't even really blame it on anything or anybody. Like, kind of like unspoken peer pressure, too. Yeah. I had some people I looked up definitely. to uh, <clears throat> growing up, and they were like, uh, this is this is definitely sounds kind of silly, but they were like, oh, there's a cinnamon challenge if you can have a <laughs> right. tablespoon of cinnamon. And they're like, who's going to do it? And they look around, and I'm like, oh light bulb goes off I can do that mm-hmm. they'll love me yeah it ended up throwing up it was a terrible experience yeah. but that's the kind of thing is right. they they weren't like hey freak try it mm-hmm. you want to fit in no they're just like who's gonna do it or hey you wanna I mean that's right. that's the kind of thing it's not direct mm-hmm. but you definitely feel it. it's like I just want to be like these people I, I like so much right you just want to connect with those kind of with those people you know people you look up to like the best role models that you have really at that point True. Sorry, that's probably kind of a tangent. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fine. <laughs> Eric's not here. We got to cover from dude. I know. We got to go off on more tangents. We got to talk about school at least twice, and we got to go off on a bunch of tangents. Yeah. Anyway, so, so your yeah. your that was your first experience, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. Um. Oh, uh, that was probably I was let's say seventh grade at that point. Mm-hmm. Yes, seventh grade at that point. Um, you know, it went on during my middle school. I used it, and then I started drinking when I got into high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that everything would get better. I thought that um, if I got away for a little bit, then everything would stop. Like, all my connections would stop. Mm-hmm. So I applied to go to a boarding school down in Sitka. I went. What's uh, it called? Manageum High School. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. I've heard of Manageum. They actually have a really good women's wrestling team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, um, 
I was part of it. <laughs> nice. nice. So, um, yeah, I I went down there. But every time I came home, I came back to the same group of friends. I came mm-hmm. back to the same same people, same influencers, and I still used it whenever mm-hmm. I got home. Still, st- still juggling two different lives. Still having um, one group of friends that I just felt like I wanted to fit in with. So mm-hmm. totally different people, and people that I could actually be myself around. So I, you know, being at such a young age, I didn't know how to differentiate the two. So I continued to use and go to school. Yeah. So when you're at, obviously I don't know a lot about Bad Edgecombe, but um, so when you're at school during the school year, what's your use look like at that point? Because I'm sure like they don't allow minors to have alcohol at school. You know what I mean? So like how does like, what does that look like? Are you sober while you're at school and you go home and that's when it's an issue? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. So when does this kind of start to break down? You know, it sounds like you're still <clears throat> kind of functional. You're still, I mean, I don't know what your school looks like, but it sounds like when you're in school, things are going pretty good. Grades are still good. Is there a point where this is going to start to be, take over your life? It actually started as soon as I graduated. Um, I graduated with this mentality that, like, oh, I'm free. I'm free from high school. I'm free from adult supervision. You know, I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, this stupid independent girl that shouldn't have been independent at all. <laughs> yeah, I feel that on, like, such a spiritual level. <laughs> <laughs> like, went to college right out of high school, you know, yeah. same thing. Like, I got into a dorm room, and I had a single room. Oh, it did in a, like... I went to, like, MSU Billings. It's, like, this tiny little college in, like, uh, like the biggest town in Montana, which is small. It's, like, three, t- like a third of the size of Anchorage, small. And, but, like, yeah, I had my own dorm room, bro, and I had no supervision. I had all the freedom in the world, and, yeah, it was definitely yeah. problematic, so I, I feel that for sure. <laughs> yeah, Continue. so I, as soon as I graduated, um, I went home. You know, I was going to all the parties. I slept out on the weekends, you know, totally different scenario and you know I had all this time before I was gonna go to college and I thought that I was gonna go to UAA in the next upcoming fall so my brother lived in Anchorage Mm -hmm. and I was I had this idea that I was gonna live with him during the school year Mm -hmm. but uh, he got evicted you know then I was like oh you know I'm not gonna go to college at all then I'm just gonna stay here Mm-hmm. But uh, I had applied for this summer job, and, you know, the people that I was working with were, you know, over the age of 21, and they were mm-hmm. able to buy alcohol and weed and whatnot. Right. So I was working with them, um, and every consistently, like, every other night would, you know, open a case of beer or, you know, take a couple shots. Um, so I became dependent on that and I just went down this spiraling path of drinking alcohol, smoking weed, um, using hard drugs and just, I was losing a sense of who I was 
I didn't realize how much it was affecting me, how much I was using it at the time. Mm -hmm. And so what's like, so what's like a day in the life of like Michaela at this point? At this point? Not like right now today, but like at that point we're talking about in the context of stuff. Um, I'd get up, you know, probably still going or a little hungover. Mm -hmm. I'd go to work. And at this point I worked with kids, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, you know, being as influential and as positive as I could for the kids. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. realize how hypocritical it was for me right. to show up hungover, being in front of kids, you know, probably smelling smelling like a little liquor or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, them as little naive kids don't know the smell, right. don't know what's going on. And I just thought that everything was fine. And at the end of the workday, I'd finish whatever... Uh, little things that I didn't do because I was hungover in the morning, Um, fill out some paperwork, go home, open a couple beers, um, pass out on the couch, as that was my life at the point. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, so you're working a summer job, you're living back in St. Mary's, you said? No, uh, I was down in Southeast Alaska. Oh, so you stayed in you stayed in Southeast after you graduated, then yep. you didn't move back. Yep. So you changed your geographical location. Yep. <laughs> nice. And nothing. And things don't change, right? Yep. It just doesn't sound like it, at least. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but yeah, I think that's one of like the most common misconceptions with people in addiction. I mean, self included occasionally. It's like, man, like how many times I thought if I was like, dude, if I just got on a plane and left, like how much easier my life would be or I mean and I feel like a lot of people think that you know what I mean like yeah I just got to get out of here like once I get out of here like it's all going to be okay mm-hmm. but like we just talked to on our last podcast too like changing your geographical location though can help at times like when necessary like there's some underlying things that definitely need to be taken care of first like some first priority things like some of that like really deep like like the traumas and like just the emotions, like the things you haven't dealt with yet that like really need to be dealt with first, like your person that needs to be dealt with first before like you can really change your environment and see like an effective product. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So where does this all like, where does this all come to a head now? So you're working with kids, you're living in Southeast. Yeah. In most days. Um, I had gotten a phone call from my dad and at this point, I have zero zero contact with him. I don't have a relationship with my dad. Um, he left my mom like a couple of years before, and you know we didn't stay in touch. Mm-hmm. But I got a phone call from my dad. I think at like one in the morning, but um, it wasn't my dad. It was his girlfriend, and she was screaming, you know, yelling for help you know, expecting me to go home and stop my dad from whatever was happening, like how badly she was getting beaten or, you know, stop him from drinking alcohol. But I wasn't hearing it. I I just heard screams and I fell into this complete PTSD episode. Um, Everything turned white. I couldn't hear anymore. I sat down on the floor 
and I was emotionless. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, or I didn't have the words to talk. My friend came in. Um, I told her to go to the store, buy some hard liquor and a couple beers. She did. She came back. We finished. Um, you know, some tequila. <laughs> One for each of ourselves. And a couple beers. You know, at this point, I was chugging shots. I didn't know how fast I was drinking them. I wasn't I wasn't concerned at all about what was going on. Like, I just wanted to forget and numb mm-hmm. myself. I told her to go and go get some more. She did. I finished whatever was left that was, you know... As she, as she left, I finished whatever was left. And I had blacked out. At this point, I had fallen on the floor and I was choking on my own vomit. My friend that had left, she blacked out too and she started causing commotion in the streets, like stopping cars, um, talking to random people in the streets and she had gotten the police involved. So the police came over to the place where we were staying, you know, knocked down the door, found me, like, at the brink of death, um, choking on my own vomit, and, you know, rushed me to the hospital, got a couple IVs, um, my (laughs) blood alcohol test was probably off the charts or something, I don't know. Right. But, um, yeah, I was at the lowest point in my life. Um, I got fired from my job. I went home all the way back to St. Mary's and I thought that it was, like, this was my life now. Like, Mm -hmm. I was so consumed by drugs and alcohol that I just thought that it couldn't, or I couldn't function without it. And... You know, I was in the stage of feeling sorry for myself, like, grieving, looking at family photos, like, oh my gosh, like, this used to be me, I used to be clean, I used to be sober, like, why can't I go back to this? Dang, that's crazy. Like, sorry, but, like, I mean, not, like, crazy in, like, a bad way, just, like, crazy in, like, the aspect of, like, what addiction can do, you know what I mean? Like, just in, like, the, like... Because, I mean, we've obviously heard the beginning of the story. We were all here. Like, I wish I could go back to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're at a point in your own, in an interpersonal life where, like, you know, there are some things that, like, could be gained out of that. You know what I mean? Like, your independence, first of all. Like, you're out, like, not that it was ever dealt with, but you're out of this abusive situation where you're kind of going from place to place. You're not couch surfing anymore. Like, there are some things that, like, could have been positive. Or yeah. could it be, like, seen in a positive light, really? That you're, like... But, like, your drug and alcohol... Your use at this point is so consuming where you're, like... I wish I could go back to that. Yep. You know, like, that's just... Like, I really feel like that's important. Like, to hone in, you know? For, like, people that don't necessarily even understand, like... Addiction, just, like, how powerful the disease is, like... in the control it has. So, like... That sounds, like... To the average person, like, just so, like unimaginable you know what I mean but it's like that's just how powerful like the disease is like 
Yeah, sorry, continue. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Um, yeah, I went home, and I've always had this stress uh, where I would clean. Like, I'd stress clean. <laughs> and I had this mentality that if I got rid of my physical things, it would, like, be getting rid of my emotional baggage as well. So I was going through all my bags, um, and by the time I got open to my second bag, I had found a college folder that I had gotten when I was still in high school. And it's it's here. It's in Saldana. It's called Alaska Christian College. I, I, I opened it. I was like, oh, I had applied for this college. Like, what? I don't even remember. You know, I was flipping through all the pages, you know, got a little excited. Mm-hmm. I called one of the recruiters, turn, turned out that I was already offered a full-ride scholarship. Nice. I was just like, how, when did this, when did <laughs> yeah. I apply for I this I did not college? get the email <laughs> that said full-ride scholarship, yeah, yeah. leave now. <laughs> Where was that? Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, I had contacted the recruiter. I had talked to my mom about it, and we came up with this plan that, you know, this was gonna be something good for me. You know, I didn't know what good was at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good? Like this is good news. <laughs> right. yeah. So I went. I went last fall in 2018. You know, fresh out of high school. Um, and I didn't know how to react with everyone or I didn't know how to interact with anyone because everyone was so happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who's this happy all the time? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, all right, I'm, I'm doing drugs. I'm not even that happy. All right, what is, what's happening yeah. over there? This is not <laughs> fair. <laughs> Y'all are exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You guys got a tone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's getting to be too much. Yeah. yeah that's when you're just not on the level people are excited about life sometimes. Yeah, that's yeah. That's how it is. Feel that. <laughs> and you realize you're the rain cloud. You're like, wait a minute. Maybe the sunshine is all right. Like, yeah. Maybe it is cool. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I, I went in the fall. Um, I, my only friend was my roommate. And, you know, with everyone else... I didn't talk to anyone. I was totally afraid of expressing who I was. I didn't want anyone to know that, you know, I was an alcoholic, that I abused drugs. Like, I didn't want anyone to know. Mm -hmm. So I had isolated myself for a long period of time. I didn't talk to anyone but my roommate from August till November. (laughs) Yep. So I stayed in my room. Um, I was taking five classes at this point. I did all my math homework in advance to where I'd finished my math class by November 1st. (laughs) So by that time, I was taking four classes. Mm -hmm. And by, you know, in the middle of this, I was still struggling with who I was. I was still struggling with lying to people. I just felt that I wanted to be free. I, mm-hmm. I wanted someone to know. Right. And I had gotten invited to go to a chapel that they were having. And uh-huh. I went, 
what? A what? A chapel. A chapel. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Bad ears. <laughs> yeah, so I, I went. I sat next to my roommate in the back. I had my legs up next to me so that no one would sit by me. <laughs> I was totally not interested in talking to anyone. But the the leader that was speaking, their message was to let go. And I don't know why it didn't occur to me throughout my whole life when people would tell me to let go of everything. Like, just let go of who who is affecting you, what's going on, just let go of all of it. It didn't occur to me to let go until that moment. And I just started crying. I went, I went off campus. I was, I, I just didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know how to express myself. I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> you know, with lying at a young age and juggling with drugs and alcohol, like, I didn't have this grasp of expressing who I truly was. Hmm. And I had gotten a phone call from my mom and I just started talking to her for like about an hour. I told her everything and I mean everything. Like, sorry mom, I've been abusing drugs and alcohol since I was 12. Like you can't do anything about it because um, it was a long time ago and I'm here now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I told her that and I just, as soon as the phone call ended, I felt like I needed to talk. I feel like I just needed to vent. So I had gone back to campus and the, the RS there, she, you know, fresh out of the shower in her night jammies. <laughs> and I was pounding on the door. I walked in and I told her everything. And I mean everything. She was the first person that I've ever told that I grew up in an abusive household. She was the first person that I've ever told that um, I was abusing drugs from 12 and, you know, started drinking when I was about 13. And I just fully let go. I told her about all the lies and I told her everything. I probably was talking to her for about a straight hour and... You know, she was this girl from Pennsylvania, fresh, <laughs> fresh experience to Alaska, mm -hmm. and I, she just sat there, and she was okay with everything, yeah. and it was what I really needed at that, at that point. And from then, I finally realized that this alcohol and drug addiction, like, has to end. Like, it can't consume me anymore. Um, it's not who I truly am. It's mm -hmm. not who I've been pretending to be. Um, I've been a people pleaser for as long as I can remember. And I didn't have a say to what I wanted, to what I wanted to happen, what I wanted to happen in my life. So I finally started to truly be myself. Mm -hmm. and. I'm still working on it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a process. I mean, just letting go. And that makes sense. You mean, like, 
you don't like nobody changes overnight. You know what I mean? You don't just make a decision one day and like destroy thirteen years of habits. You know, you don't wake up one day and you're like, "Yep, you got it. <laughs> new year, new me. Here we go." Yeah, like, that just isn't realistic. It just doesn't happen like that. But so after you go see your advisor, what happens next? What's the next step after that? After the quote unquote liberation? Well, it didn't exactly change overnight. Um, this was in, this was actually this time last year. So I had just got done talking with her. I went to my room and I was basically crying my eyes out. I was bawling. You know, a couple days go by. I'm living, you know, clean. One of my friends hit me up that weekend. I go off. You know, I start this stupid little cycle like on and off cycle of using drugs for a good three weeks and you know at at the end of it like I said that I was done and I didn't use for the rest of that semester I went home in December I went home for winter break and you know sure enough it was there so I had said you know what like it's it's always going to be here. Like, I'm going to have this constant reminder. My friends, my quote-unquote friends, are always going to say, like, you're not this person. We don't know you. So they were very intrusive, and they peer pressured a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, being as naive as I was, like, I gave in. <laughs> I came back that following semester, and I said that, you know, enough is enough. Enough wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah. So from this, from this rep- repetitious cycle of using, not using, going for long periods of time without using drugs or alcohol, you know, it was always, it was always there. And I mm-hmm. still had that mindset that like, it always was going to be there. And that I can always backslide just a little. Yeah. But backsliding just a little became a small habit for me. It's it's interesting, you know, when you say that because, like, just from some experience, like, when you get into your mind, like, this is always going to be a part of my life. You know what I mean? Like, the rest of recovery seems so daunting at that point. You know what I mean? Like, because you've already accepted, like, it's like a whole fundamental shift in like the way you think you know what I mean like from this is always going to be a part of my life to like that immediate like once you get into recovery like oh I can never do this again and then you're like okay one day at a time you know like but it's just really like I had a friend who once I was like man I'm just like and it was I think he was like 19 and he's just like I'm never gonna quit using drugs like there's just so many things that I'm gonna do before I quit using drugs and I'm like and at that point you know you're like me too man you know what I mean like and it's weird like when you finally get to a point where you're like dude for the rest of my life like man and then it's like this whole fundamental shift where it's like okay maybe just not today but you know what I mean so like where does that backslide like a little bit here and there kind of get to I'm assuming it gets to be a little not anymore here or there yeah yeah um this summer I backslid a lot actually and 
I mean, like, I wasn't doing anything stupid, but it was still there. I was still backsliding, and it felt like I had something to rely on every single time I was stressed, I was homesick, I didn't feel well that day, you know, any type of excuse that I can mm-hmm. just to get my hands on drugs or alcohol. Right. So that cycle went on for a little bit, but uh, I came to realization that I have a lot more influence on people than I really, than I really think that I do because uh, one, I'm a people person. Like I love talking to people, getting to know people asking some really, I don't know, out of the box questions. Like it's just my thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I finally realized that I had a a leadership position at the school and I was portraying that I was this leader that claims to live by the school's, you know, rules, but I really wasn't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so... That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. having, Having to face that going day in and day out, putting on a mask... Same thing that I was doing my the, my whole entire life, going to school, pretending that I was happy, and then when no one was looking, using drugs or sipping on a beer. Did and that guilt really get to you? Yes, it yeah. did. Hmm. Today's the 20th, right? It is. Yeah. Well, guys, it has been an official two months of being sober. Congratulations! Yeah! Yeah, that's super cool. (laughs) But, yeah, I came to this realization that I love people and I want the best for people. And I wouldn't be able to help people if I'm struggling myself. So Mm -hmm. coming to that realization has really helped me and changed my mindset a whole lot. And it sounds like you really believe it. Some people think that and they... Like, yeah, I gotta take care of myself. And then they just don't. Right. I mean, pretty much. But that's something I've heard several times throughout podcasts. Right. People talking about putting the the kind of the goal for staying clean outside of themselves. Mm-hmm. Making it about something bigger. And for you, it sounds like because you care about other people so much, you want to be able to interact with them in the best way possible. And that just, you can't do that. And have this relationship you have with you know alcohol at the same time so have you heard about that before like putting the reason for quitting on to something other than yourself is that something that no i just based it off of that um drinking and using drugs not only am i hurting myself but i realized that i was hurting my peers, my friends, people that look up to me, and especially I was hurting my family because, you know, they were the ones that decided we don't want our children to get involved in this. And having it spit in their face saying, I'm going to do it anyway, you know, that, that hurt me. That hurt me a whole lot. But I can't imagine how much it hurt them in the process so it was more it was a really organic realization that you 
kind of reflected upon and came to the conclusion. Yeah. That's awesome. Hmm. So what does... So in so what were like your first steps getting into recovery then like oh. so after you come to this realization like what steps do you take after that So I had some beer in the fridge at this point mm-hmm. and I was like you know what <clears throat> I'm going to finish this I took them I opened the can but I had no satisfaction whatsoever like I didn't even take a sip at this point I went to the bathroom and I spilt it. It, it. I just didn't want it anymore. But, you know, within those couple days, like, things got a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, I just wanted a beer. Like, I, I just really, really wanted a beer at this point. Mm-hmm. But um, having friends and having accountability partners is a really big part of recovering and holding you accountable so that mm-hmm. you don't backslide. And having someone to talk to whether it's a counselor or your best friend, I don't know, someone to talk to. Right. That, Some kind of support there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was, it's definitely still a temptation, but it's not as strong as it was in those first couple of days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, so you said you're moving up here, you're going to school. Right, you're still in school? Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, this is a small campus, so it's probably not as prevalent, but are you living, like, in a dorm situation then? Like, or are you... Because, like, what I'm thinking is, like, like, that stereotypical, like, dorm. You know what I'm saying? But, like, I don't know. I've never lived in the dorms here, so... Like, is there, like... Is there outside temptation that's pretty consistent? You know what I mean? Or is it, like you don't see it a whole lot or like what's it like outside of like just your own decision making really you know what I mean well I still get whether if it's messages or phone calls from friends in in the community like hey we're having a party this weekend Mm -hmm. why don't you come over I mean they're still they're still my friends don't get me wrong they're still gonna be there Um, I still love them a whole lot but I'm not as close with them as I was because of it. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit of that self-care, dude. And that's like, I, f- I don't know. I feel like would be like one of the most difficult parts. You know what I mean? Is like, just not like necessarily like kind of, I heard this thing. Actually, this is probably the best way to put it. I heard this thing. Maybe it was in another, another podcast, but like, or maybe I read it somewhere. I don't remember, but. Like, one of the hardest parts about recovery, especially, like, in the early stages, is you start to mourn the person you were before. Even, like, how, no matter how, like, despicable, quote-unquote, or, like, how you felt about that person, you know what I mean? Like, as you're changing and evolving into, like, somebody who's now in recovery, you still, like, in moments like that, when you get the invite and you're like, oh, man, I shouldn't go. Or, like... You go out to dinner and, like, someone else is having a drink. And you're like, oh, man, like, that would be nice to be able to do that. You know what I mean? You start to mourn, like, those situations and that person that would have done that. You know, like, a little – and whether, like, it's good, bad, this or the other, like, a little part of you does kind of fade in that aspect. You know what I mean? And it is all for the better. But at the same time, like, it's a difficult situation. Like, like Zach said, dude, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Like, there's some hard stuff that has to happen for recovery to really be, like – 
as uplifting and positive as it can be, you know? Like, it's not just, it's not all easy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, that's a hard thing to do is, like, kind of start to not be as close with some of those people as you were before, especially when you're somebody that really loves people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, <clears throat> also, along with that, it's kind of the relationship with the substance itself. Yeah. And I've heard of people um, writing, like, uh, kind of like a goodbye letter. Mm-hmm to a substance as if it was because there is kind of a relationship honestly big time and having that go away and having well like you like Michaela said it is like whenever I felt stressed I had something to rely upon is that like the thing you use you know what I mean like mm-hmm. anytime like there was stress or anytime like I could have any excuse you know what I mean it is like that thing or person you know that you fall back on you know what I mean it's your coping mechanism it's your comfort you know it's and for some people like it's all they got. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there is more out there, obviously. Like, you're going to make new connections, and you're going to really, like, find a part of you that, like, you really, really, really do love and appreciate, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Outside of that. But, like, in the there and the now, like, you have to mourn that a little bit because mm-hmm. it is a big part of life at some point. Like, for people in recovery, it was a big part of life for a long time or for a short time, but... A significant part of the portion of time. Yeah. So what does it look like nowadays? Um, what is, what are you doing to kind of keep that at bay? I know you mentioned support, having the support of friends or, you know, people to talk to and stuff. But is there, um, I guess I'm looking for um, what a day in your life looks like now kind of does it really stick in the back of your mind or do you think about it a lot or is it just you're like i'm in recovery i'm i'm not gonna think about it i'm not gonna dwell on it well my day consists of staying busy and i mean all day you know something to take my mind off of anything whether if it's i write in my journal i'm doing homework i go to some meetings that are on campus um i recently took up the position of being an RA for my my dorm floor um hmm. let's see what else do I do salt just started up so student government uh, there are so much things in my day that I mm-hmm. don't I don't know I, it's just constantly going at it I'm busy consistently but when I do things for self-care, I recently started taking up hammocking, and it's super peaceful. Whether, hammocking? Yes. So is that like <laughs> chilling in the hammock, like making hammocks? Chilling in a hammock. I like that. I don't that think, sounds way I don't more think fun. that I'd ever be making hammocks. <laughs> you never know. Not ones that I would trust. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, you like bring your uke out there. Um, usually I go hammock by a river. Nice. It's just... Super peaceful, some me time, mm-hmm. a lot of self-reflecting. And yeah, I was wondering with that, because you mentioned all these ways you're keeping busy, and I was thinking, is it one of those situations where you're kind of scared of being alone because then you have to think, but no, actually, <laughs> that's actually quite the opposite. You're, you're, sounds like you're pretty good at having personal reflection. And you said there are meetings on campus? Yes, whether if it's a student government meeting, 
whether it's if it's a room check day um let's see there are student and community gatherings that happen that usually happen monday through thursday so i go every single time mm-hmm. i'm just getting really like, a lot of connection yeah, I think that's I think that's super important. You know what I mean? I think like the less isolated you feel, like the more likely you are to go out and like do some things that and really be supported. You know what I mean? Like obviously you have to have people to support you to be supported. You know what I mean? So like going out and like finding that connection, I think is super important. I think there's a lot of people that can probably benefit from something like that. Mm-hmm. And just honestly, kind of having the courage to reach out and actually go. You know what I mean? Because, like, I'm – maybe I'm projecting here, but it's one of those things where, like, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, and then, like, rolls around, and you're like, uh, eight to seven <laughs> excuses later, I don't go. You know what I mean? Or something yeah. like that. So, like, really? I think there's a lot to be said for, like, the courage of actually, like, getting out and going and being willing to be connected, you know what I mean? And I think that's a little bit of self-care in itself, you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of – it was a form of self-care, like, going out and allowing yourself to have connection and, like, really be open to, like, letting people into your life at all, even just for momentary lapses in time, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, well worth it, though, it sounds like. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, so you're 60 days in. What's your thought process moving forward? I've actually never given that much thought, but I'm excited where I'm going right now, the pace that I'm going at, the future that lies ahead of me, I'm just excited. I don't know what to think right now. A lot of my actions are just spontaneous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm more of a live in the moment, and I just decide what I want to do now. But for, for my future... I'm looking into different colleges. I'm moving here to Saldatna. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm really excited to where my future leads. Awesome. That's super cool. So actually, we asked this, we asked everybody this question as like a kind of a closing question. If you could tell yourself in the deepest part of your addiction, something now to kind of either keep you going on this path or if you're like a really like a pivotal moment, you could, you think like, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Well, you're just, you're, yeah. If you could tell if you could like write yourself a letter then from now, what would be like the most important part of that letter? You mean my past self telling me now? No, if you could, you're now self telling your past self. If you could go back now in time and, yeah, and talk you to yourself when you were struggling your most, when you were like rock bottom, and if you could say something, what would you say to you? Not that it would change anything, but what would you say to you? What do you think yeah. would help? Just for people that might be in a very similar situation. Yeah. <laughs> and take your time. Like, yeah. this is very on the spot. And... I always tell my friends this. I always, always tell my friends this. But I would say, wait, actually, No. I would look myself in the eye, I'd grab her by her collar, her <laughs> fleece on her neck, and say, like, get your sh- together. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what she would tell you? Mm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, 
this is that's a little different than the you're worth it message. <laughs> <laughs> you're alive, but you know. Uh, that's hey, if you feel like that's what would get it. Right. And honestly, dude, for some people like we talk about this pretty often too, I think just more in our own personal settings, but like some it, that works for some people. You know what I mean? Mm. We've met people that are like, yeah, I went to jail and like, that's what I needed. You know, I needed that tough love or I needed like, I needed that hardcore accountability. And there's some people that are like, dude, I went to jail and I lost all faith in the system. And like, I kept going for years. Like, I just needed a little bit of like something else. You know what I mean? Mm. The other end. Like, so I don't think that's, I mean, you know, you better than anybody else knows you. So <laughs> it might've just worked. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly have the shock factor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, he's got a point. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, Michaela, thank you so much for coming in. This was honestly so much fun. Um, I'm really glad we got to to hear your story. It's nice to have some more resources and a different perspective. So, yeah, thank you very much. This is Aaron and Coburn, and we are you and I for Kenai.